Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Seb Stafford-Bloor from TIFO Football, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. This is where things get serious. One-off matches in which the stakes couldn't be higher. The week begins with Europa League quarterfinals in Germany, but builds in intensity with the Champions League in Portugal. Only two former winners, Barcelona and Bayern, remain. They, of course, play one another on Friday. Aid, this competition is wide open, isn't it? Yeah, and it couldn't be more exciting, in my opinion. The fact that we've got one-off games is is a leveller of sorts. We've seen, haven't we, in the, in the FA Cup, Arsenal, a clearly inferior team to, to Manchester City, turned them over in the semi-final, and then win as underdogs against Chelsea in, in the final. And, and the same can happen in this Champions League format on neutral ground, of course. So, so yeah, really, really wide open, tremendously exciting because... There are only two previous winners left in the competition and they meet each other, which means there'll be one in the last four. It, it's set up, isn't it, to be to be a wonderful festival of football, even though there, there can't be any fans at that particular festival. So, so yeah, from a footballing perspective, I really can't wait for, 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 the, for the coming days. Yeah, it's going to be a good climax to the season, I think. Yeah, in essence, Seb, this is being staged like an international tournament, isn't it? You know, the, the schedule is very intense and condensed. There's a momentum of interest which will grow. Now, you know, with the fixture list at club level condensing, becoming ever more cluttered and congested, do you think we're almost seeing a future of football here? In other words, blocks of time where the top competition occurs at club level. Yeah, I think we might, Mike. I, I think what will ultimately dictate it is the size of the audience and the great advantage at the moment. Obviously, of course, there's, there's strange things going on in the world generally. But at the moment, these games are going to have a far higher audience than they would otherwise just because of the scarcity of, of live sport. I don't know whether we'll ever move to, to a full-time to, to a kind of Club World Cup model, as you say. But I think the future is almost certainly that Champions League games will, will migrate to the weekend. Because these blocks of fixtures, I think it's conducive to attracting as many people as possible. For instance, if you were to say on an average Champions League group stage, 
you know, we're going to stagger our games from sort of midday on a Saturday, two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, et cetera, across the weekend. I think that'd be a very attractive model to not just UEFA, but also to the big clubs. And as we're finding out with all sorts of things, when big clubs want something, they generally get it. And I, I expect that'll be a concession UEFA make to them, um, you know, at some point within the next decade. Yeah, I can I can see that happening. I, you know, I remember being at Barcelona about 18 months ago and talking to their top people. And the the mood really was then, look, why can't we play this at weekend? Uh, so, yeah, I think you're probably right there. Uh, you know, we talked about it being wide open and that Barca and, and Bayern are the only previous winners. Mm. How do you see that one going? I thought Barcelona looked really fragile against Napoli. Yeah, I did too. I, I wasn't overly impressed with them. But, but when you've got Lionel Messi in your team, you always have a chance, don't you? And especially in a one-off game. But, but when you compare Barcelona tactically with Bayern Munich, a really, really well-oiled machine at the moment under Hansi Flick, they, they don't compare. Bayern do look streets ahead. So, so you have to make them, them the favourites for this game, no, no doubt about it. I mean, how impressive has this guy been, by the way? I mean, he inherited a team that, that weren't in, in great condition and they now look like the best team in Europe by, by some distance. Maybe we'll find out over the, over the coming days what a, you know whether he is a good tactician or not because they've just bullied teams, haven't they, over the last few months. Barcelona, yeah, they, they weren't convincing, were they? they? They looked a little bit open, I felt, and, and under Kike Setien. They, they haven't settled yet. I think that, that much is fair to say. We don't really know what they're trying to, to achieve. So, so no, you, you would make Bayern the favourites, but, but the messy factor can't be ignored. Yeah, they certainly reminded Frank Lampard how far Chelsea have to go, don't they? You know, if you think of it, I think Chelsea have conceded 79 goals in all competitions in, in this season. That tells you everything, doesn't it, Seb? I would say so, Mike. I mean, I, I, I look. I th- these are special circumstances. There's there are strange breaks between games, and you know, every, everybody's season has been disrupted. But I was amazed by the naivety in that Chelsea defence. I mean, even having watched the way they've defended through most of the season, I think they are. I've got big concerns. I mean, because obviously they spent an awful lot of money on the top half of their side, and they bought some very very good players, indeed, very expensive players. But you just wonder whether this is whether they, they've fallen into a little bit of a trap of their own making, whether they've actually underestimated one of their own weaknesses, that defence is dreadful. Dreadful. I mean, some of these players, you know, a couple of them have aged, that's fair. A few of them are off form. But as a, as a defence, as, a, as a, a unit in isolation, it belongs in mid-table at best. It's appalling. So unless they, unless they spend, unless they match their offensive spending in their back four and on their goalkeeper, they've got huge problems next season. Yeah, no, I do I do agree on that. I think I think it's been a bit neglected. Zuma and Christensen should should be nowhere near the yeah, Chelsea agreed. first team. But it stems from the keeper. Surely I know that Caballero's in at the moment and it, you know he's not as as blatantly bad as as Kepper, but I think if you've got a truly elite goalkeeper behind a defence, it, it it provides a lot more confidence and assurance. So so that is that is issue number one. But then beyond that, yeah, they they have to obviously upgrade the personnel. But but also, we, we said for ages that the left back position needed sorting from a defensive point of view. Clearly, two centre backs to replace the the couple that I mentioned, a keeper, uh, and then you've got ageing Aspilicueta, and then you've got Reese James, who, who who appears much better going forward than than defensively. Although I think he's got capabilities to defend properly 
under the right coaching. And 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 Frank, maybe Frank needs to to look at his coaching setup and maybe mm. bring in someone to cope with the defenders. He and Jody Morris clearly very good midfield players in their day, but maybe it just isn't their their forte. I don't I don't think Derby were that secure defensively no. under Lampard or Morris. I, th- I felt that was a slight weak link then. Maybe he needs to bring in somebody with, with vast experience, a former defender potentially. Up, You could upgrade Ashley Cole or look elsewhere, I guess. So so that's something to, to look at moving forwards. John Terry? <laughs> JT won't... He won't work under Frank, will he? I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. No, I, I, there's I, too much ego yeah, there, isn't yeah, there? Exactly. Wouldn't, and and the, the reason that... that there were whispers that he's leaving leaving Aston Villa is, is because he, he he feels he's outgrown that role, and he's looking he's he's the green eye monster at the moment. JT he's looking at Frank Lampard, he's looking at Mikel Arteta, he's looking at Steven Gerrard, and he's saying, well, "I want a piece of this. I want to be a number two. So so no, that won't happen. I I, I do love the hubris of John Terry thinking he's outgrown that role already. It's <laughs> yeah. this kind of what Villa with their uh, their almost worst defensive record in the, the whole division. <laughs> Um, and all of a sudden, it's kind of well, I, you know, it's time for me to get a Premier League manager's job. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, Dean, ridiculous. Dean Smith's brought in Craig Shakespeare, hasn't he? So yeah, you know, that's... which I would have thought would hasten the exit of someone like John Terry. I'd have thought that would be a that would be a bruise to the ego. So um, well, he didn't yeah, get the Bournemouth job, did he? Yeah. So no, so... right, right, rightly too as well yeah. because he's sort of he, he lacks the qualifications for it. You know, I'd be interested to see what Jason Tindall does. Another JT, obviously. Of course. Um, right, we all know about managers and managerial ego. My ears pricked up when I heard Pep Guardiola asking the rhetorical question, why are we so special? I think if you actually cut through the sort of tiresome manager speak, he really fancies it, doesn't he, Aid? I think so, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of extra determined this year because of their wrath against UEFA. I, I, I did feel it was an impressive performance against Real Madrid, as bad as Real Madrid were. I mean, if you catch Varane on that kind of off day, and, and Zinedine Zidane, I don't think should get off lightly, by the way, with that performance. It seemed like they went to the Etihad with, with no game plan at all. So so they got what they deserved there. But City, to their credit, had a game plan. The players followed it well. And, and look, they should have won by more. So yeah, he, he's got the bit between his teeth and, and would love... Absolutely love it in the words of Kevin Keegan to, to go and win the Champions League, wouldn't he? I mean, blimey! But 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 everything that we've said about City still still stands. Fernandinho was nowhere near Benzema for that goal, and, and I felt that Benzema kind of gave their their centre halves a bit of a run around in that game. He was real real top class. They just didn't spend long enough pressurising this this fragile City defence. Carl Walker was good. You know, give give them their dues. They played well. On the night, but but I still think that they have a fragility, and and I wouldn't write off Leon in a one-off game, causing them problems. They've done it before, Leon, albeit under a different coach. Went to the Etihad and and, and turned them over two-one. I remember the game didn't have much of the ball, Leon, but they counter-pressed unbelievably well. And if they do the same again, who's to say that they can't they can't get the similar result? on neutral territory. So you so say, yeah, they fancy it, but, but I still, I still make city third or fourth favorites to win this competition. Mm. Do you agree with that? Seb? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I wouldn't place them in the, in the Bayern Munich category. Yeah. I think this is kind of ground we've covered in the sense that all roads lead to the issues with their defense. But I, I, you know, I, I've been really impressed by, I think that the life in the side since the lockdown, since the restart, 
you know, just the, the sort of the freshness of the ideas. I felt sort of when it became obvious that, that Liverpool were going to win the title, it felt like Manchester City became a little bit dead behind the eyes, that they were sort of playing on autopilot. Now, the team that we've seen that's come out of the lockdown isn't without its flaws. A covered those, you know, there are still big issues with, you know, centre half and, you know, with, with the kind of the consistency of the fullback play and, and also defensive midfield. But in terms of the originality of things like their angles, their runs, their off the ball movement, actually the general speed of their football, I've been so impressed. I've been so, so impressed. And so, you know, yeah, they 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 have their caveats, but this is a dangerous, dangerous side. And, you know, just in the same way that you, we can make a case for Leon causing them a bit of a problem. I mean, it wouldn't it, it wouldn't exactly be a, a shock if um you know if, uh, if if City could leave Bayern Munich with a bit of a bloody nose. They're in the discussion without question. Mm. We'll look in greater depth at Leon probably in the Thursday edition. Were you surprised they saw off Juventus aid? And also, what does the fallout from that you know the Sarri sacking? What's that say about the nature of the modern game? Is it you know, okay? Juventus have won Serie A. Is it nine times on the bounce? That's not enough, obviously, is it now? No, no, it's not enough. Well, it's not enough for a team like Juventus because. It's almost a given now that they will win the league. So, so yeah, it's, it, the Sarri fit didn't didn't really click, did it? I, I thought they were. He did take the team backwards, even though they won the title. And in that game against Leon, they just lacked a bit of imagination. They looked a bit, yeah, a bit bit tired. I think in terms of, of the way they played, it's it's very much if Ronaldo doesn't doesn't save the day, what what else is there? So yeah, so so Andrea Perlo's got got a a big job on his hands, I guess. And yeah, it is the modern model, isn't it? Because because teams up and down the land or, or around Europe keep changing their coaches and keep on keep on winning. So so it's not it's not so important to to build a dynasty as it used to be. On on Leon, I, I wasn't that surprised. I quite I quite like Rudy Garcia as a tactician. I think that he, he he's someone that that's really flexible, changes his formation quite regularly, particularly in the Champions League, I've noticed. And look, he went with a great game plan, 3-5-2, and it worked. He left Dembele on the bench, which was incredibly brave, but introduced him at the right time. They've got good players. So, yeah, no, it wasn't a total shock to me. I do, I still like Hussein Ouar. I still don't really know how to pronounce his name, but <laughs> but I, 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 I think he's a really good box-to-box player. Ouar, Ouar, I, I really don't know. Um but, him, but, that one. but he's go, somebody... go, full, go full West Countries. Who are? On behalf of the West Country, he, I object to that. He, by the way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, everybody over there in the West. The but he's a really good box to box player and, and someone that yeah, I, I'd like to see in the Premier League actually. Yeah, now, I I mentioned Andrea Perlo, who you know obviously by common consent was a you know, a wonderful footballer to look at. Is his appointment? after about nine days as under-23 manager, a romantic dream or a is he a sort of cynically inserted stopgap? You know, there's talk, of, well, will Pep go there in a year's time? What do you think, Seb? Yeah, I, I think you might have hit the nail on the head there, Mike. I think this is a, a kind of a temporary solution. I think it has its roots in Juventus's domination of Serie A. I think it's the kind of appointment you make if you have absolutely no respect for your native competition. <laughs> um, which, to be fair, that that's that's not hubris on their part. That's just you know, it is what it is. They are utterly dominant. They win Serie A at Canter every year, and they can probably get away with inserting someone without any with without any experience. 
I am surprised they didn't go for Maurizio Pochettino. I think he'd make a wonderful Juventus manager. I think they're at a stage where they, they need a rebuild. Their squad needs to be taken apart and rebuilt. And to do that, you need a manager with, with a real weight of personality. And Pochettino is your man. It's kind of what he did at Spurs. He sort of endured a, a tricky six months of tackling egos and jesting on unwanted players out and you know dealing with the ructions that come from that. And at Juventus, it would be... Um, It'd be, be different. I mean, there aren't there aren't many Eunice Cabals at Juventus. It's not it's not as easy as it was at Spurs, but it is a task for someone like him. I, with Perlo, I don't know. I mean, I I find it I find it a little bit dislikable. I find it kind of we were talking about John Terry. I find it very jobs for the boys. I find it a to be quite a synthetic appointment in the sense of you know Perlo has this sort of has had this afterlife of you know he's stylish and fashionable and we, we all like him and it's kind of detracted not detracted but it's kind of it's sort of beside the point of what he was as a footballer. And I feel that this is culturally what we're moving towards in football a little bit in the sense of, you know, it's the superficial stuff that matters rather than the coaching badges and the well, It's all about, it's all about I, the I brand, isn't it, it, at Juventus? Yeah, mate, and they I, see I, themselves I just, as a fashion brand. I, uh, yeah, I completely yeah, agree. And, and, and Perlo's quite kind of cool, like isn't he? <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. it, it's, also, it's also fashionable, isn't it, to, to go with, the, the legend player. I mean, you're seeing it in the Premier League now with with Solskjaer, Lampard, Arteta, not legend as such, but popular player. And and they're all doing quite well, aren't they? So so it's sort of in vogue to do that. And also Juventus are a very, they're a traditional club, aren't they? And you don't see many overseas managers taking over Juventus. I know that Deschamps did, but but in the recent history, been Italians the whole, the whole way through. I, I think that that seems to be quite important to them. So yeah, look, we, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, yeah, he's got. He, he's really. It, it's basically. It's not. It's not the same as as if I took my coaching badges. Next, you know, this year I'd be Southend United manager next year. Do you know what I mean? But it. it, it it's not too far away from that. He's, he's only really just taken an interest in coaching, and he's and he's landed a huge, huge job. It's it. Yeah, so it's a, it's a gamble. This is a um, harbinger for what happens in the future. If Andrea Agnelli gets sort of the um, the European football dynamic that he wants, which is the kind of the ring fence Super League, then this is the kind of coaching appointment that we're going to get used to because it is going to be all about brand. Without the kind of the peril of relegation and the fear of lost revenue, it's going to be about fame and it's going to be about sort of a you know attracting a, the kind of audience that flocks around Andre Perlo's beard and his wonderful <laughs> hair and all that kind of thing and this 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 is where the I, I know I'm being a little bit fatalistic but this is what I I generally feel this is where the game is heading it's kind of it's not about nuts and bolts and mechanics and you know team structures it's going to become going to become more synthetic than but that. But to be and, to um, be a good brand, to be a successful brand, you've got to be a winning brand. And to be a winning brand, you, you still need a, a good tactician. I think you'll always need them. You'd always need a smart manager to look after. Or do you just need a men. lot of money aid? I mean, you you, yeah. you need both in to be you know to be an optimal performer. But I think you can get away year to year with a kind of sort of the, the Di Matteo scenario. Yeah. You gather the right amount of players in the right place at the right time, and and you know good things in tend to happen. And I think. In, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. In a knockout competition, I, d- I don't know. I, I think in the old, the proper Champions League format, or if you're looking talking towards going to a European Super League, then then absolutely no. I think I think it becomes everyone's rich, and it becomes even more important that that you have the best coach 
in your technical area. But look, let's see. Perlo might be, he might turn out to be a genius. You know, he's a, he was a pretty tidy player, wasn't he? So let's let's, he let's right, see yeah. what he's got tactically. <laughs> he strikes me as very laid back. I did meet him once and he was, he, he was just, yeah, it just seemed really horizontally laid back. He was, was very <laughs> chilled out. So you do wonder whether he'll be able to motivate motivate the guys because I, I genuinely feel, and this is from personal experience and from what you see of, of coaches around the world, I think energy is massive. And if you you know if if your manager doesn't give off positive energy or lively energy or energize the players, it's it's difficult. Yeah, you know you, you use the word synthetic, Seb, and I have to say I think of that word when I think of PSG. You know that is a, a club in which the brand is all it's all about the the vanity purchase at vast amounts of money. And they're still unable to translate their domestic dominance into Champions League credibility. Given all that, one, is it a potential employer for Pochettino? And two, do you expect them to wheel Mbappe out against Atalanta? Question two first, if they do, that's that's reckless. Atalanta are not to be trifled with as a team. Gasparini's created a miracle there. I actually quite like Atalanta to knock out PSG. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't think PSG can afford passengers. Mbappe, of course, at full fitness, is a world-class footballer, but he cannot possibly be anything close to that on the basis of the injury he suffered in the French Cup final. Pochettino, I, I, I can see, I can see it being a landing spot for Pochettino eventually because obviously he played there. He's got a great deal of affection for the club. I, I just hope he doesn't go there because I, I just see it. And apologies if we have any really sensitive Paris Saint-Germain fans listening, but it's just a waste of time. Like it's just it's for someone like Pochettino, he needs a project. He needs the opportunity to take a club from A to B, and Paris Saint Germain. It it isn't that. It's a you're going to win everything that you want to win domestically, but just through sheer weight of your your squad's quality, and it becomes then just the binary question of did you win the Champions League? And I don't want that for Pochettino. I want him. I want him to work somewhere where he can actually create an, an identity and an era for himself. I mean, because we've almost forgotten that Thomas Tuchel is at Paris Saint-Germain. He's an excellent manager, just someone that sort of, you know, would be, uh, would 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 improve pretty much any club he, he moved to. And yet it's kind of beside the point. He's lost in the glare of the Neymar and the whatever else. You know, it, it's not, it's not a footballing project. And and, and Pochettino is uh, at his core a football person. And so I, I'd rather, I, I would much prefer to see him at, at a at Bayern Munich, at a, at a Juventus, mm. you know, um, he <laughs> wouldn't go to Barcelona. But... Can, I, can I just, like, I, 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 I've done this before on the pod and, and I'll say it again. Are we not overrating Pochettino a little bit here? Like no. we're elevating him to a status where he should be picking Bayern Munich over a PSG but Juventus, maybe, maybe I don't know if it's right for him. Pochettino didn't didn't win stuff. It, he he's a very good coach. I don't, I'm not denying that, but he didn't win anything, and and the team did fall off the rails at, at Tottenham eventually. I'm not saying that was always was fault, that but... because of him, Aid, or was mm. it because of the culture that was imposed upon him? Quite possibly, and 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 I think that he did work excellently in a, in a difficult environment. I'm not saying that he isn't a great, he isn't a very good coach, but for me, he's not proven at elite level. Pochettino is still uh, would be a risk, and I just feel that Juventus or PSG aren't. He's not the first name in their thoughts. I just think here in this country, maybe maybe we elevate. 
potch slightly above his, his true station. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. But but I, I think that there is there is logic to, to my argument in a way. Mm. If we're talking about modern football, Seb, let's look at the other tie in, in the bottom half of the draw, which is probably the weaker half. We've got Rebel Leipzig. They're playing Atletico Madrid without Timo Werner because he's on, you know, gone to Chelsea. Yeah. They're talking about looking at their recruitment model again. You've there essentially they've been bullied into losing their best player because of the weight of Chelsea's money, haven't they? And they should really be playing for them in this match. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think about a month and a half ago, we we dragged Ryan Frazier over the coals for something similar. And my opinion is pretty consistent on this. He should be there. He should be playing. This is a once... Or I mean, uh, RB Leipzig is a, a little bit of a different situation. Um, when we talk about the first time in the history, it's a bit of a... I haven't got much of a history, have they, really? Exactly that, exactly that. However, if I was one of his teammates, if I was someone like, you know, Conrad Leimer, you know, for instance, you know, an excellent player who on the right day could go very deep into this competition, potentially even win it. It's not out of the the realms of possibility. They're an excellent side, or at least they were with Werner at the top of their formation. I don't like it. I think it's kind of... um, I I think it demonstrates kind of... um, almost a sort of the dissipation of the old kind of um, team building idea that sort of, you know, groups of players achieve things together. And now we're left with this sort of, right, well, you know, no superstars are underpinned progress in the game. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll do what I want. We, we'll do what we want because we're the commodity in the sport. I, I, I don't I don't like it. I can't agree with it. And I also, I've heard the counter argument, which is that he wants to be ready for Chelsea's new season. I think it's a very weak argument. It's just like, well, okay. You know, good for you. The transfers agreed. I, I, I just, um, I find it very, very dislikable. Come on, I, I feel, it, Come on, go and win it. Go and win it. That, that well, I'm not sure I'd go that far because <laughs> ideologically, I've got some issues with what Leipzig are. Um, but, um, I, I feel sorry for his teammates. I think kind of they, they've achieved this together, and all of a sudden, he's. I mean, let's be honest. He's just walked out on them because he's got a better offer somewhere else. It's, it's, it's no more complicated than that. Yeah. Well, that's football. I'm afraid, isn't it? With that Atletico aid, I see them as potential winners of this tournament. There is a developing story, uh, and we've we yet to know the full consequences of two positive tests for COVID. So that will develop as as the days and, and well, the hours and the days uh, go on. With Atletico, all being well, and let's hope it is uh, well, do you see them as potential champions like I do? Yeah, I think they're capable. Certainly, I see them as finalists. I, I'm a bit with Seb. I think PSG, they're out of match practice and, and Atlanta are a really brave side. So I could see Atlanta winning that. And and I would certainly see the winner of Atletico and Leipzig beating the the, the, the winner of the other quarterfinal. So, so yeah, I, I think Atletico, for me, will be finalists. That, that would be my tip. The reason is they're hard to beat again four defeats all season in La Liga. That, that that takes some doing. They were superb, weren't they, against Liverpool? Mm. Two very different games. But but I mean Oblak Black was just was ridiculous. But but I also felt in the in the first match that, that tactically Simeone really squeezed the life out of out of Liverpool. And I think he's capable of doing that against against most teams. Loads of Champions League experience of course with Atletico Madrid. So, yeah, I, I, I think they've got a, a very good chance. But for me, I, I still can't look beyond 
Bayern Munich, but but Atletico are getting towards the Atletico that they were under peak Simeone. Yeah, actually, looking back at that Liverpool game, it seems like it was 100 years ago, doesn't it? It's amazing <laughs> when you think about it. Mm. Let's look at the, the Europa League. Wolves are in Germany, their first European quarterfinal for 48 years against uh, Sevilla. Is that a challenge too far, Seb? I don't know. I mean, Wolves were very ropey against Olympiacos. Their penalty box took an absolute shelling and um, Rui Patricio made some excellent saves in that game. The one thing that makes me feel good about that, is, uh, about their chance against Sevilla, is that Wolves have little pockets of class. Even when they're not playing well, they've always got a Neves through ball in their locker. They've got a little burst from Toure. They've got, you know, a little bit of attacking imagination from Jimenez or Yota or you know, Daniel Podence is another player who I really like. They've signed from Olympiacos, obviously, in January. He, he had an excellent game against them. Sevilla, uh, <laughs> it's hard to know where they're, they're at because I, I did see their game against Roma and Roma were absolutely dreadful. So I don't know what quite what their level is after the, the end of their season. But I, I, w- I would give Wolves a, bo- a, a, a puncher's chance. I think they have, they're in that very convenient situation where even when they, they're not kind of defending as well as they might do, they have that sort of, it's almost like a, an old Man United quality where they have good enough players whereby they can rely on doing some damage to the opposition under any circumstances. And I, I still like them. I mean, in any matchup, I like Wolves just because also they are built to counterattack. So any team that underestimates them, any team that sort of tries to tries too hard to expose the frailties they may have seen in that Olympiacos game, well, you've got issues because then you've got Yota, you've got Trore, you've got Jimenez, you've got um, yeah, Martino as well, remains an, just an outstanding player. If they click, they could win the tournament. But then equally, you could see them being eliminated. But I, I still like them. I, they, they, they remain my dark, dark horse, Mike. Yeah, so they are, you know, are in really good form, aren't they? I think it's 15 unbeaten in La Liga, or I think 18 overall. They've already qualified for the Champions League. They finished fourth in La Liga with 10 clear of, of fifth. That side, obviously, there's a tradition within the club, Aid, of winning the Europa League or its equivalent. Do you see... Sevilla, you know, do we underestimate them? You know, we, we always think of La Liga and we just think of the big two. We do, yeah, because they don't, they very rarely have a superstar player. The strength is, is ordinarily about the team, the collective. Technically, they always have a, a lot of sound players. They, they, they tend to be grisly at the back. Talking of, of them at the back, I think it could be a low scoring game with, with Wolves. Clean sheets in five of their last six, Sevilla and yeah, I don't see it being a, a particularly high-scoring tie. I'm, I'm interested in, in looking at Diego Carlos, centre-half, left side of centre-half, been linked with Arsenal and, and a number of Premier League teams. So it'd be interesting to see how he he fares in the game. Yeah, no, I think we do we do underestimate them because that they've got that that record in, in, in Europe where they, they win trophies. It's as simple as that. And they will believe that they're overwhelming favourites, I think, to, to beat Wolves. And then... If they do come up against Manchester United in the next round, Sevilla, even though we would class them as, as huge underdogs, I don't think they would be overwhelmed by that challenge. I think I think I think the winner actually of, of the competition will will probably be either United or Sevilla. I, I don't think Wolves Wolves just look too tired to me to go on and, and win this competition. I just think knackered, I, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the, that's the difference, and 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 I think that that United and Sevilla are slightly fresher. Yeah, uh, they'll come up against uh, uh, Julian Lopetegui, who turned down walls, lest we forget, in 2016. 
Wolves probably got the best of that deal because they recruited Nuno the following year. They obviously need to tie him down to a new contract as soon as, don't they? Because he's ready for a bigger club, isn't he? I mean, he he's certainly got the ability to manage a bigger club. I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether there's any agitating on his behalf, but absolutely, I, I think sort of the not just the relationship between Nuno and his players. That's that's not the the only important thing here. The pipeline between George Mendes, Wolves, and Nuno is also also extremely important because that's been very successful. Not just in the sense of the the provision of talent. But Nuno has had players that he's been able to use, you know, really, really well. I mean, if you look at if you look at that squad, okay, Martino may be a little bit of an exception, possibly Neves as well. There are very few there who you'd say, right, well, you you are destined to, you know, to exist at the top of the table or to, you know, to compete in the latter stages of the Europa League. You take someone like Jimenez. Jimenez had he hadn't had a prolific season since he left South America or Central America. Should say he's Mexican, you know, and, and he's been sort of reborn as this uh, as one of the best forwards on the continent. And you look throughout the side, and you look at players like Doherty, Cody, Bolly, Johnny, the fullback as well. He's a, he's an excellent player. Diogo Yota. It's like the sort of the metaphor of, of uh, the analogy of of, of Mendes has been able to give Nuno the right kind of soft clay. He's carved these pieces into what what it, you know cumulatively has become this really really impressive side. Now, if he were to leave the club, you could replace him and Wolves have the budget to replace him with someone very impressive. Whether the chemistry and the alignment would exist in the same way, I don't know. So it's absolutely essential. He is Wolves at the moment. What struck me, there was uh, some images immediately after they qualified against Olympiakos and it was you know the big group huddle, which usually, you know, they've become a bit of theatre, haven't they? But Nuno was making some points and I looked at the players and their concentration, that they were looking really <laughs> deeply at him. And it was obvious that the respect that they had for him, you know, was, was there and visible. Oh, he's, he's a scary character, isn't he? I, I'd listen to Nuno if he, if he was talking <laughs> to me. I, there's no way I'd, I'd, I'd look elsewhere and start to daydream. I don't think he'd tolerate it. Yeah, he's, he's a big guy. I, no, I rate him. I think he's, I think he's excellent. Seb, Seb summed it up. He's, he's in an environment that works really well for him. All, all I think he can ask of the board is that they continue to show greater ambition year, year on year. Obviously, the likelihood now is that they'll be out of Europe, so they can probably have a real run at top four next season. And providing they can keep Traore and, and Jimenez, who else can will he be allowed to bring in? That That's the big question. But I don't see Nuno leaving. No, no chance, not at the moment. OK. Uh, you mentioned Traore there. As a fellow flying winger, Abe... <laughs> Uh, could could there be any difference? Yeah, yeah, he has exactly the same physique. <laughs> what do you think of his pre-match ritual of of having his arms baby oiled to prevent <laughs> defenders grabbing onto him? I love it. I love it. It's, just, <laughs> it's good. Fine margins, isn't it? Marginal gains. That's the phrase, isn't it? Why not? And uh, yeah, it's just weird that we we sort of. Sometimes see it, you know. You, th- you think that that could that sort of thing could, could take place, uh, you know, behind closed doors, but but no, last minute baby oil on there. Why not? I mean, it's a bit like the tight fitting shirts, isn't it, to stop opponents tugging at you uh, that the, the, the rugby uh, teams have gone for. I don't blame him. Is 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 the bottom line, and it's yeah. I I, I just like the fact that it's it's a bit different. 
smells nice, probably. That's yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the other, the other Europa League tie of immediate significance for us: Manchester United against Copenhagen in Cologne on Monday night. Seb, do you start De Gea or retain Sergio Romero? Romero, because uh, Manchester United's incentive to, for winning the Europa League is gone. They're already in the Champions League next season. It's no longer important to them. Romero is a very serviceable backup keeper, but I, I think it's important to just temper the conversation around the hair a little bit, because even the slightest mistake at the moment is going to be a national conversation. And I don't think that's particularly helpful. And I, you know, without the need to to, uh, to qualify for the Champions League through this competition, I don't think the hair needs to be put in that position. I think he needs to be sat down for um, the rest of, well, not the summer, but summer slash autumn until the new season begins and just taken out of the spotlight because that's the one, it's really the one negative on Manchester United's horizon at the moment. A lot of what Solskjaer is doing is being received very well. Now, the signings are, have gone well. Bruno Fernandes, of course, has is, uh, is, is played exceptionally. And yet De Gea is the dark cloud, unfortunately. And so in a game against someone like Copenhagen, where United, by all intents and purposes, for all intents and purposes, quite rightly are a prohibitive favourite, why would you put him in a situation where the best possible outcome really for him is just to go unnoticed for the evening. It just makes no sense. Leave him out, play Romero. Romero is certainly good enough. If United get eliminated by Copenhagen, it's not going to be because of Sergio Romero. Let's put it that way. It's a, it's a night to be uh, to, to do a little bit of PR, I think. Really. Back pages today, by the way. I don't know if you've seen them. A lot of them are about De Gea and this sort of three that three doesn't go into two when you chuck Henderson yeah. into the mix. So, so look, yeah, it's going to be interesting because if he does pick De Gea... It's as if to say it's challenging him to prove him prove himself, which I think, given his long career to date, is 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 maybe maybe a bit unfair. But but personally, I would yeah, I think I said this before. I think United should should have dropped him, and and for form alone, I would I would pick Romero. Well, we've got you a couple of Arsenal issues that I'd just like to run past you. Are you surprised that they're apparently willing to let Ainsley Nathan Miles go? And what about Lucas Torreira? He's been linked to AC Milan. Has Arsenal been a wasted opportunity for him and also the club? I'll start with Torreira. I, I feel a little bit sorry for, for Lucas Torreira because he, I thought he was really, really good at the outset. And then th- things started to, to level off for him at the end of last season. Physically, I think it got to him, the, the physicality of the Premier League, the relentlessness of it. And, and he became jaded. And then Unai Emery saw fit to, to misuse him, basically, as a, a sort of attacking midfielder, which was just bonkers. And, and his confidence went. And and I think, the, so, so from a football point of view, he's lost his way. He's not regained that confidence or presence. Also, off the pitch, I don't think he's settled in, in England, in, in London. So when you put, put those two things together, I just think it's a, it's a decent player who had potential to be really good, that, that it just didn't work out because of the way he was used and, and his, maybe his personality wasn't suited for the, for, for the club or the country. So so I think it's right to sell him. AC Milan, why not? Because Edis, I suppose, has got that, got that influence there. As for Maitland-Niles, ha- hand on heart, I've not, I've, not been a huge, I've not been hugely sold on Maitland-Niles over the last couple of seasons because I'm not sure what his best position is. And if his best position is fullback, I think he's got an awful lot of work to do still to become 
good enough to be first choice fullback for Arsenal. So I'm conflicted here because he was excellent in the cup final and the cup semi-final. But hand on heart, I don't know if he's good enough to be a starter long term in that position. So I actually feel for him, for his career, the benefit of his career, it might be better to move on, even though Arteta clearly doesn't really want to lose him for now. What's interesting here is that there appears to be a clash between Arteta and the, and the board. Arteta sees use in him. The board see see pound signs. And, and, and there seems to be a bit of a standoff, which isn't healthy. And, and I hope that, yeah, I hope that the, the, yeah, that they come to a decision pretty quickly and that it doesn't drag on and on. But for me, both players probably long-term will be better elsewhere and, and Arsenal can upgrade those positions, in, in my opinion. OK, let's sort of jump nimbly across North London then, Seb. Spurs, Ryan Sessegnon. Again, talk of being loaned out to Ajax. I speak as someone who saw him come up through the England uh, youth system and he was a certainty the first time I saw him play. He has stalled at Spurs. Why? Uh, two reasons. First is probably the damage done by that Fulham season where he... I think it's important to understand what Cessnon is. He's not a Gareth Bale-like figure. He is a He's a component within a side. He's a very, very smart footballer. He is someone that reads the play very well. He's someone that moves to the right positions at the right time. Now, without the continuity of the, you know, uh, yeah, that um, the Fulham took away from him with all that sort of ridiculous summer transfer activity that, that during their first season back in the Premier League, he was a natural victim. At Spurs, he's had so little opportunity to kind of rediscover his equilibrium. I mean, just literally in terms of minutes on the pitch, he hasn't had an opportunity to play consistently with with the cornerstone pieces of, of Tottenham's side with, you know, Kane, Son, Alderweireld, any of the fullbacks. And so he's in this situation where without being a, a kind of an individualist player, it's very difficult for someone like him whose you know, confidence has taken a hit and whose ego has been bruised or that kind of thing. It's going to be very difficult for someone like him to make his case from the outside. I've just finished writing about this for 442 actually and it, it, it's interesting because the, the solution in this situation is always, well, just loan him out somewhere and you know, help him rediscover himself. And it's identical, even though they're very different players, it's identical to what happened to Gareth Bale. If you remember back to um, Harry Redknapp's first few months at the club, Bale was supposed to you know, be sold to Nottingham Forest. He too was supposed to be loaned to, to Ajax at one point. And it's not the solution. It's a, That's just out of sight, out of mind. If you want a player like Sessegnon to succeed at a club like Spurs, he has to stay at Spurs and you have to integrate him. Because, Mike, I'm with you. I, I remember seeing him with the England age group players, uh, in, in England age group teams, and he's a fantastic footballer. He's a, he's a very impressive individual. He's, um, he's very interesting to talk to. And he will succeed if the conditions around him are adjusted to suit him. And I, I think um, I think it'd be a, a very serious mistake for, for Spurs to bounce him out because it just it doesn't it doesn't serve the long-term interest. It doesn't it's the fast way to ensuring that he won't succeed at the club. Okay, let's look at um, broader issues the VAR changes I looked at that good that referees are being encouraged to go to the TV monitors at last I sense there'll probably be off the line chaos at penalties involving goalkeepers (laughs) Uh, but isn't the overriding feeling of it aid that it's still about the referees protecting other referees (laughs) yeah and the protecting referees aren't good enough Simple as that. I, yeah, you know, exactly um, 
the standards have never been lower, in my opinion. And and that is the real issue here. I don't think they had a choice. I think FIFA have sort of, you know, used their will here to impose their way on the Premier League. And, and I don't think you'll find many Premier League fans disagreeing with, with the FIFA way. Let, let's go with the, with the um, pitch side monitors. All I'll say on that is, please, let's just go straight to the monitor rather than, you know, fiddling around for three minutes and then under, being undecided, then sending a ref over to go and look at it. Let's just, let's just get them over there as soon as possible and get on with it. But yeah, the, the bigger problem for me it's not VAR, it's not the technology, it's the people implement, it's the people using it. And we need to um, raise standards dramatically. And, 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 and the fact that it's gone so quiet at the moment in regards to uh, personnel, refereeing personnel, where, where's the story? I, 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 want, I want to see stories of radical changes uh, uh, you know, within that organisation at Stockley Park, within the, within the referees group. I want to see... The, the elite group of referees and assistants shaken up. But it's, it, again, for the 20th season in a row, it feels like, it'll be same as. And, and these people are consistently making dreadful decisions. Um, yeah, we, I think we need the, the new breed of, of referees as soon as possible. Other people need to be given a chance, in my view. Yeah, I'd agree with that entirely. Well, at that time in the show where it's... Um... Basically, uh, get your get your uh, opinions out, Seb. This is your chance to uh, basically <laughs> say what you feel. Well, I had to think about this, Mike, and uh, it's a long term grievance actually about Paul Pogba. I've been thinking about it for quite a long time and kind of watching on silently to to the way his Manchester United career has been covered and the tone of the coverage in the British press. There's this, there's this weird little murder in the media whereby you're not allowed to sort of criticize other people in you know this this weird sort of oh you know don't criticize your colleagues i think the way that paul pogba has been written about and reported on has been an absolute disgrace for a couple of years in terms of yes he hasn't always enjoyed the best performances and uh sometimes his agent hasn't done him um much good but i think there are people you know in the press boxes who want to probably review some of their coverage have a little bit of a think about some of the the words used and to probably do better next time someone of Paul Pogba's profile turns up in the Premier League. It's not good. And I, 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 um, I probably should have spoken about this a long time ago. But um, yeah, it's not very good. It's, um, it's, uh, and th- these are things that should be said out loud, I think. Okay, well said. Eight. Um, <laughs> two things, if I may. For, first of all, can I just send a message out there to Newcastle fans? Can you please stop atting me into um, <laughs> Premier League? <laughs> Premier League tweets because I, look, I, I, it's doing my head. I can't see any legitimate messages that people are sending me. The to put this into context, there's an article I wrote on West Bromwich Albion that the Premier League have tweeted out a couple of times, and Newcastle fans have just sabotaged it with abuse of the Premier League and and its chief executive. Um, so so please just just leave me up, leave me out of your grievance. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Social media is nothing but reasonable aid, so like I'm sure that's exactly what they're doing. I, I think I just think that I am bored silly with that, and there's some absolute nonsensical posturing going on up there. Yeah, I agree. So, so yeah, that is that is really irritating. The other thing that really is getting my goat at the moment is the images of um, of people flocking to the seaside and on trains and and seeing these packed beaches. Yet, yet we're talking about going into an EFL season. With, with no fans 
there needs to be surely you know some some push i mean there's a lot of grievances i have with the efl at the moment but the efl and and football in general they need to push harder i think lobby the government to to find a way to get paying customers back in the grounds you know when i see the pictures of how close people are on the beaches on trains flooding off trains we have to find a way to to get fans back into football league grounds because it will be unsustainable for them to be behind closed doors until until the new year even if it's limited you know 1000 2000 3000 it's better than nothing and 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 i feel that that we need to be working much much harder on on pushing for that that to happen because if not closing beaches why 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 are they closing football grounds in my in my opinion mm, well we're talking about leadership there aren't we aid and and when it comes to governance the EFL have an abysmal record. You know, even now, no one can be entirely certain which clubs will be playing in the championship next season. Now, that's why I have to wonder whether the salary caps announced for Leagues 1 and 2 are enforceable. The PFA, with whom Gordon Taylor is still picking up his £2 million a year, by the way, they're making noises about legal challenges. Now, I understand the extent of the financial problems. Portsmouth, for instance, are losing £700,000 a month during the shutdown. All but two League Two clubs voted to be limited to spending £1.5 a year. More significantly, seven League One clubs voted against being restricted to a budget of £2.5 Like them, evidently, I believe a one-size-fits-all approach is a charter for mediocrity. Within reason, perhaps as a percentage of income, clubs should be allowed to invest as they see fit. Ambition isn't a dirty word. Where it is ruinous, and we've got to look at the championship for that probably, the EFL have been found wanting. The game, quite simply, needs better leadership. Do you agree? I suspect many of you do. Please let me know. But first, thanks once again for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.